A very good evening to you and welcome to the Law Report. My name is Michael Matoning Bill. It's good to be with you on this Wednesday evening where once again we talk about other issues of law and this evening we're talking about drugs and you know that this has been somewhat of a 2018 topic and it started with the various judgments relating to the legalization or decriminalization of of cannabis and um, it would seem that that's not the end um, there is more and um, more was discussed at the drug policy which which took place last week in Cape Town and tonight we talk about what transpired what are the views what are the policy inputs insofar as the regulation of the use of illicit or um, uh, recreational drugs that's our show this evening um, and as always, we look forward to your calls. Give us a call, 86 Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuning-Bill. All right, like I said, this is a show for you where if you have an interest in, in this issue, because it, it, it would seem uh, when most of us were in law school uh, some years ago, how things are looked at, they, they looked at are completely different as we progress because, because more and more one finds that our laws reflect the views and the sentiments of, of the people at the time. Um, we used to call, the, there was a thing that we called a, a bona fide pater familias, which is a reasonable father of a family. And it would seem this reasonable father of a family figure um, and identities is evolving with time. And, and, and we've seen that particularly um, with amongst many other judgments, uh, um, the one that relates to, to cannabis. Let me introduce my guests and uh, my guests are... Uh, uh, partook in the Drug Policy Week. Uh, let me begin by by introducing my first guest, uh, Mr. Leboa Malaka. He's the Senior Technical Officer uh, for the South African National AIDS Council. And Dr. Malaka, good evening to you and welcome to the Law Report. Evening to you, Mike. Let me also introduce Professor Ian uh, Sani. He's a CEO of Rights to Care. Uh, Prof, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. Great pleasure. And also my final guest, uh, Dr. Palmas Mashabela. He's with the Central Drug Testing Authority, which is an advisory to the government. Perhaps a good point to start. And, and you know, the connection sometimes is very difficult to um, readily get to, to say what does the, what interest does the uh, South African National AIDS Council have on the question of drugs and the regulation thereof. Perhaps I should start with you. Thank you, Mike. Let me um, say hi to your uh, listeners at home. Um, we are from the South African National um, AIDS Council, and our role is basically to coordinate the AIDS response in the country. We have been established by cabinet in 2000. Um, how we coordinate the AIDS response is that we convene all arms of um, government, um, including civil society, private sector, and also partners in the country. Um, as you know, uh, the AIDS Council is chaired by the, uh, the, the deputy president in the country. So it's chaired by mostly the highest office in the, in the country. And our interest is basically ensuring that we advise government uh, on HIV policy, but also ensuring that we turn the tide of HIV uh, in the country around. That's basically that. So we, we basically have much interest in the drug issue because it has influence over um the the AIDS, uh, pre- uh, i mean AIDS infection in the country right and 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 that's on the one hand interesting because uh, but also not surprising because we all know that you know HIV and AIDS are transmitted through amongst other things um injections and 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 is that where you then come in insofar as the issue of drugs 
Yes, when you look at the our approaches, is that we have got what we call biomedical models of intervention mm-hmm. and we also have what we call social and structural models of inter- intervention and we look at the social and model social and structural models of intervention is that they are issues that are basically social issues that you know influence the infection rates of hiv in the and we found that drugs mm-hmm. are basically among you know the social issues that basically um, influence the, the infection rates of hiv in the country mm-hmm. for instance currently as we speak um, talking about people who are injecting drugs, mm. we have got a, 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 um, about sixty-nine thousand people of who are injecting drugs in the country, mm. and most of them, up to fifteen percent of them, are living with HIV, and that is scary. That's very right. scary. Right. Um, and when you look at it, um, is that the infection rates among people who are um, um, the risk of infection amongst the people who are injecting drugs is very high because there is. Uh, possibly a, um, a potentially exchange of you know needles when they're injecting and you know because these people are coming from you know low background economic backgrounds mm-hmm. they're not able to afford syringes and what they end up doing is to basically share that one syringe that they can mm-hmm. reach they can mm-hmm. reach one needle that they can reach and um and, and also on the other side is that there is also a black black market mm-hmm. where you know uh, the some find an opportunity to actually sell these needles or re- maybe re- even rent you know these wow. needles okay. and which is very 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 risky so you can see the potential risk that this poses yes to you know the infection increasing the infection rates in the of hiv in the country all right so so that sort of give us a, a a nice idea of of what the south african national aids council's role is and and let me um uh, come to you dr pelmas mashabela and 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 perhaps to understand your point of view as a central drug authority Thanks, Mike. Good evening to you and good evening to your, to your listeners as well. The, the Central Drug Authority is a statutory body that mm-hmm. has been established particularly to advise government on matters of drugs and substances use and abuse. Now, the scope within which the Central Drug Authority functions is that it looks at both the licit and the illicit drugs mm-hmm. um, and therefore when we talk drugs generally we talk of all kinds of drugs those that are legal and those that are illegal as well the the way in which the central drug authority is then constituted is that it is made up by both the government sector and the private uh, sector by experts we call them experts who get appointed by cabinet to serve in the Central Drug Authority. Now, when you look at the focus then of the Central Drug Authority in terms of its mandate then, is that um, because we're looking at both uh, drugs from a point of view of those that are legal and those that are illegal, Mm -hmm. we then take more mandate from various government departments in terms of, you know, the law enforcement, the economic sector, the social sector as well. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the element of use and abuse remains a concern for government broadly in terms of drugs. Currently, then, what we are doing is as, as a central drug authority is that because we have a five-year cycle within which we develop a national drug master plan, which is basically a policy of government in terms of how they must go about implementing drug interventions throughout the country, mm-hmm. we, it, it always get done over a period of five years. So we are currently working on a, a, a new plan, or should I say a revised plan, 
which is going to be a 2018-2022 plan because we have been working on the 2013-2017 plan. So those kind, those kind of policy commitments mm. are how government expresses its intention to deal with issues of drugs, both from the legal and from the illegal drug uh, center, I mean, sorry, uh, abuse uh, element. Now, I'll stop there because then I don't want to go into the three pillars within which we are looking at drugs. I think that will be perhaps as we, as we go on with the, with the show, Mike. Thank you very much for, for, for that very, very great um, overview of, of what your organization does. And, and finally, um, uh, uh, Prof, uh, Prof Ian Sani, uh, CEO of Right to Know, uh, your organization right and... Um, right to care. I beg your pardon. That's a terrible thing. It is, it I'm, is. I'm reading care, but I'm saying no. <laughs> There's a competitive uh, company that, you, that stole the name right to know. Yes, yes. yes indeed. Um, yeah, so your organization, please. Uh, yes, so Right to Care, thank you very much again and good evening to your listeners. I, um, right to Care is a non-profit company uh, established in 2001 to address the uh, needs of the uh, um, people living with HIV in, in particular, but also more recently tuberculosis and uh, hepatitis C. Uh, we are essentially bringing in donor resources to support the Department of Health in the implementation of the National Strategic Plan. Uh, the sources of funding come uh, at the moment principally from the US government, either USAID or CDC, and the Global Fund. Uh, which is uh, we work together with SANAC and the country coordinating mechanism on on providing services uh, to uh, the poor and to the public sector patient. Uh, one of the areas that is still an uncovered um, or um, uh, where we haven't made much headway is in the uh, key population, and that is people uh, with injection drug use, in, uh, where the rates of HIV are extremely high. Um, of concern is not only HIV, but hepatitis C as well. And there's good data from our colleagues in TBHIV care in Cape Town, who've demonstrated that people, 50% of people are HIV positive and uh, over 60, 63% in fact have hepatitis C. Uh, now hepatitis C is, is also a deadly disease, it can go into chronic hepatitis C, liver failure and or liver cancer. And there is today curative treatment. Uh, right to Care does not only work in South Africa, but in fact we work in, at the moment, support programs in 16 countries, and two of which are Ukraine and Myanmar, where the HIV epidemic is actually entirely driven by injection drug use, uh, with only a, a much smaller heterosexual and MSM uh, epidemic. So our interest in the policy week was to emphasize that decriminalization of injection drug use um, allows for destigmatization. In other words, people don't feel like they've abandoned, been abandoned by the healthcare system and indeed leads to us being able to access better prevention activities, so particularly uh, needle exchange programs and also uh, methadone replacement therapies for those people who are now ready to uh, give up the injection drug use, particularly of opiates. 
uh, and then for HIV testing services and uh, and or treatment for those positive, reducing the transmission to other uh, partners, drug users. And in particular, we are really pushing government now to introduce um, hepatitis C treatment programs because our epidemic is actually tiny in South Africa. We probably are dealing with less than 1% of our population having hepatitis C, but we know that in fact, if we don't act now, that it will be similar to the HIV curve, uh, you know, incidence curve, that with time, in fact, we will have much uh, increased numbers of hepatitis C. In Ukraine, about this, about five times the number of people with hepatitis C to the number of people with HIV. Mm. And that's also now spilled out of just people with injection drug use, but to their, and now to their sexual partners. So we have a, a unique opportunity to actually treat hepatitis C at this point in time in South Africa and, um, and you know, rid- you know uh, prevent a much bigger epidemic. So we are at the point where we can have a discussion about decriminalization. I have, uh, um, uh, would like to emphasize again that decriminalization leads to destigmatization and then we can provide health services. I, I, I wanted you to, 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 you know, to, 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 to complete you know, and sort of have a full spectrum of, of what you aim, but I, I, I was waiting for the opportunity to, to, to go back to the decriminalization of, of drugs. Uh, explain how you envisage that playing out in everyday society. So, so what does it mean um, for, you know, um, a, a, a current drug user insofar as, you know, how, how do you envisage, let me, let me not sort of lead you, just how do you envisage yeah. the playing so, out? So, you know, I can speak to this more from a health perspective than from a, a law and justice perspective. Mm. But from a health perspective, we need to be able to access people uh, with injection drug use. Uh, The trend internationally is that that happens in in cafes, injection drug use cafes, or in homes where regular injection drug use is undertaken. And people are scared to come forward because there actually is an imperative at the moment on healthcare workers to report it. And so basically there's this quagmire of people not willing to come forward, not allowing counselors to come into their homes to provide testing uh, and treatment strategies, and most importantly, harm reduction. Mm. We also need methadone replacement therapy, which has only really started now with the assistance of SANEC and the Global Fund. Uh, We've started bringing methadone replacement therapy into uh, the arena and the entire health sector needs to um, become agreeable to prove that methadone replacement therapy is a good idea. Uh, We do have predominantly injection drug use in our major city centers and so as equally important is established needle exchange programs. But again, people are only going to come forward if uh, they are not at fear that the policeman standing on the corner is going to watch them at the needle exchange program and then follow them up to uh, as individuals. And, and that's the stigma part, right? There's a massive, there's a societal stigma to injection drug use. There's a family stigma. There's a health 
sector stigma and then there's the, the law and justice stigma. Only yeah. with decriminalization can we face the reality that people do this. They're going to carry on doing it. And we've created not only the criminalization around the individual, but we've created, created a, a whole underground network of people whose objective it is to break the law and uh, with all the criminal elements that go with that. So the best example is Holland, where in fact this has been completely decriminalized. And uh, in fact, you know, methadone replacement is normal. You can even go and actually to, to safe injection houses that are run by the uh, Department of Health. And um, indeed, uh, replacement therapy, I think I've said, needle exchanges. And the, what's happened is that the rates of, of drug use have gone down. It's not criminal anymore. So the criminal element has disappeared. And the control of diseases, uh, particularly transmitted hepatitis and HIV, has uh, been very successful. So, uh, mm -hmm. I, mean, I think that's sort of the long and short of it. I'm having a conversation with Professor Ian Sani, who's the CEO of Right to Care, as well as Dr. Uh, Palmas Mashabela, who's with the Central Drug Authority, and also uh, Mr. Leboa Malaka from... Um, uh, who's uh, the senior technical officer from South African National AIDS Council. And we're having a chat, and this chat is at the back of the um, drug policy week that took place in Cape Town. And, 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 and really, the, the fascination for me about what happened is the, uh, 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 the, the, the development for the legalization or decriminalization of drug use and, and, and interesting or interest, I'm interested in, in knowing what you think at home. What do you think South African position should be from a policy point of view? Is this a good thing? Do you see the benefits? Of course, um, we will be getting the benefits um, as, as, as we've already gotten a few um, from the professionals, but from you at home, what do you think the benefits are? What do you think the risks are? The risks are? So engage with us if you, um, uh, because I do think that, you know, 10 years ago, somebody might have had a conversation about the use of cannabis. And, uh, and today, the legal regime governing that has changed completely, at least in my view. Uh, so that's, that's our show tonight. Give us a call, 86 I'm going to take a break, and when we come back, we continue our chat. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. We continue our discussion talking about the decriminalization of drugs. And I'm not talking cannabis anymore. We've moved on. That's yesterday's news. We're talking real drugs, um, uh, recreational drugs, illicit drugs, um, um, even, you know, um, even, even medical drugs that are used for non-medical purposes. So, so that's our conversation this evening. And the, and the topic seems to be that has the time come for the decriminalization of, of, of drugs. And, and, I, and I just want to uh, touch uh, uh, on that, uh, Dr. Mashabela, because I remember having a discussion with, um, with, with the, the, the people amongst them, the Dacha couple, and I know in Dacha we've had sort of three shows. But one of the conversations, particularly with the lawyers, was what is the distinction between the effects of alcohol versus the effects of cannabis? And, and, and therefore, the argument that was raised was that the, 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 the attempt to, to refuse to, to recognize cannabis um, relative to alcohol is in itself irrational because they have the same or similar effect. And, and I'm just thinking about 
whether now the same argument can be extended uh, from, you know, cannabis. Now we have cannabis. We've had liquor. And, and, and during the break, you even mentioned cigarettes and you linked it to the WHO. Maybe just, maybe just pick up on that and, 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 and just sort of give us a, 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 point, a, a, a point of view of how then these the, sort of the testing of traditional thought is, is sort of progressing. Okay. Um, as the Central Drug Authority, we must also then, on behalf of government, confirm that uh, we've had a number of engagements regarding the various um, legal drugs such as your alcohol and your, your, your nicotine, which is cigarette. And we all know that, uh, you know, as a country, we are, from, you know, we are periodically or annually required to report on the prevalence, you know, and the use of alcohol, although it's a legal drug in the country. Now, the, 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 the current judgment I think in the main, it was sort of dispelling the whole notion that harm is not necessarily the reason for, you know, to determine whether the drug should, should be legal or illegal. Because I think that the difference is just the degree of harm. Mm. You, know, uh, you know, nicotine is just as harmful, uh, alcohol is just as harmful, and, and, and I think, uh, uh, you know, marijuana is just as harmful. So, mm. so I think the, 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 the point we are trying to move, to move at is, because the country is required, you know, from time to time to report through the WHO, that is where we report matters related to alcohol and matters related to cigarette, which is about, you know, your, your, your nicotine. So, so we are required to report on that. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that, we will from time to time monitor the prevalence and the use of alcohol because it's required of the country to report on that. But if you look at the issues around the seizures, you know, the continuous seizures of, of drugs, you know, you know, the hardcore drugs and stuff, we are also required to report in terms of the, you know, the International Narcotics Board, which is a body within the UN. So therefore you will from time to time still see the police, the law enforcement coming in and, 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 and doing those you know, seizures, you know, in the port of entries like your airport, your your, your, your borders and so on and so mm. on. Because as a country, again, we are compelled to report on some of those things, including, by the way, your, 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 your precursors and your, your labs, those illegal labs where, you know, police from time to time will pounce on them mm. and they dismantle because we are required to report them. So there is a, there is a move within the, 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 the Central Drug Authority, which is building the National Drug Master Plan to try to create a balance between law enforcement, you know, and the, the requirements to implement law enforcement, whilst at the same time we respect the rise of the users and, and indeed to, to start ac accepting and acknowledging that the users in this case must also be viewed from a point of being victims. So we, have, we are already moving towards that in terms of our policy change. And in terms of the, the, the broader policy change that you are introducing is that, yes, it must be understood that the, the abuse of or the addiction mm. to substances must also be viewed as a as a, some kind of a, an illness, mm. you know, which therefore needs to be treated from that point of view. And I think that has become a huge uh, milestone insofar as our understanding that if it's then going to be treated more as a, as an illness, therefore it means any user must be understood from that point of view and therefore needs help. Right. So, 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 do I understand you uh, different from uh, Prof. Sunny to to be saying the following that um, the if if you 
you know, so on the one hand, it's not so much the decriminalization of drugs that I hear you to be saying, I understand you to be saying, I understand you more to be saying, well, let's look at the user as 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 a victim. Mm. Uh, perhaps, you know, is there a distinction between what 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 you are saying and what Right to Care is saying? I I, I think the distinction is that at this time we um, are still criminalizing use mm-hmm. and possession and therefore um, sending substantive numbers of people to various forms of jail sentences. Yes. I think the um, that's the user end of it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not yet at the point where I would make it a free-for-all. I think that the meth labs and, you know, where the production is happening and the the pushes and the um, pyramid structures that are involved in in uh, bringing drugs into the country, distributing those in a most efficient, effective way, uh, initiating the uh, you know vulnerable people on on drugs in whichever way. I think that part is still a crime, as it would be a crime to you know do um, any other form of solicitation into uh, uh, human trafficking or, or yeah. anything similar. And so, but I, I do think that uh, I, I'm happy to hear that we're moving towards uh, looking at the user in with a perspective that they, they need assistance. Yeah. And that assistance um, is not only aimed at that single user, but actually because most of the public health uh, what, most of the illnesses that they are exposed to are public health illnesses mm. and they affect more than just that user. Mm. They will be transmitted from that user to the next person and potentially out of out of the drug use circle to their sexual partners. And so, in fact, uh, this has got very much to do about public health as it has to do about the health of the individual. If I understand you, um, so so... What would so the position now is um, if you are caught with two grams of cocaine, um, you get sent to jail or you get arrested. You know, let me sort of be technically yes. accurate. Yes. You get arrested yeah. for possession. When we talk about decriminalization, what would happen if somebody and, and we'll get to the to the bit about, you know, people with labs and, 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 and dealers, as it were. But what, what, what as, as you envisage or perhaps as the, the master plan envisages would be the position for, for possession of two grams of, of coke? Well, as things stand, you know, um, a possession of coke because it's just an illicit drug yeah. will, be, will be criminal. Um, so there will still be the processes of, you know, going through the police arrest and stuff like that. So, so you're not seeking to change that? We're not. We know, at the moment, there is no changes in terms of the law in relation to, you know, those kind of drugs, right. like cocaine, your heroin and stuff. The point we are saying is that if people are therefore addicted, yes. you know, to any of those drugs, they need to be helped because they become users. Right, um, and therefore they need help for their addiction. Right. That's where we come in. But maybe just to come in. Yes, please. Is that, you know, once a a user 
it's on the is 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 on on drugs they develop a substance yeah. a dependence mm. and that substance dependence then is called a substance use disorder mm-hmm. so they, that's where i'm taking back to what dr sane was saying that our argument is basically from the public health angle right that our our, our interventions should be that um the 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 war on drugs mm. has not proven to work you know, because otherwise it co- it continues to sweep people under the floor, under the carpet. Yeah, that uh, the users continue to use, but use under the ground, yes. and unfortunately continue to suffer the harms. Yes, of using these substances. So, what we're recommending is that um, there needs to be a policy change. There need to be new policy changes, and our policy changes basically should be based on principles, and the principles should actually be right-based. You know, principles it should be evidence-based principles. They should be human-centered. Yes. And human-centered, basically, here we consider in the harms. You know, yeah. that are coming with you know the use of of drugs, and also people being you know arrested and put into prison. Like for instance, there there isn't evidence now that people who have been put into prison because of you know substance have you know um, either you know stopped taking as a result of as, the arrest indeed. as a result of the arrest yes yeah. and by, by, and the other thing is that in South Africa we don't have a law that says we cannot provide you know health services to you know people who are on substance use yes yes for for basically for health or medical purposes and and and, and, I, and i suppose um um i'm still struggling somewhat yes. to to understand the the position uh, professor sani let me let me refer this question to you insofar as right to care's position is concerned two grams of coke in possession and and i want to use some of the words uh, that i used the same person could be um a, a victim or addicted in the sense that they need help but they are concurrently also a possessor at that time when we talk about decriminalization what do we mean in that context would it mean Sir. would it mean for example um oh I have this position, but geez, guys, I need help. So the drug policy week expressed, I've been trying to read to find the exact wording, but Mm. it basically says under criminal justice, um, it first goes into that many of these um, steps taken are somewhat unconstitutional because the individual has the right to health care and protection. Yes. But then it basically says... Um, with the immediate effect, this is the Policy Week's statement, the rest of and prosecution of people who use drugs must no longer be a priority. And that statement is made in the absence of a change in the law. So we, at, you know, at the moment, we, have, we tell our law enforcement officers that it is a priority to arrest somebody who is in possession of personal use drugs. And that the... Uh, number of arrests that are performed in in our cities should not be a measure of performance for the police officers because they then essentially go out to in fact find these drug users whereas what their priority should be in the next sentence is to protect the safety and well-being of all South Africans including those who use drugs and uh, so indeed uh, the intention is to 
decriminalize use and not arrest the person with two grams of cocaine. So now we're a health sector business, right? We're a health sector NGO. It's, it's run like a business, but in, in principle, we are here for the betterment of South Africa. And so we can't, I don't think we've made a policy statement to say we'd like to have the law and the justice system uh, changed. What we're advocating for is the is a better handling of the of the person who is a user with the intention of moving those people through the health system for the infectious diseases components of it but also through the health system for harm and risk reduction which go hand in hand you know once you've given somebody methadone to actually to prevent their urgent um, withdrawal symptoms and their urgent desire to inject drugs then you can engage with them on the social behavioral psychological sides because often they have got major social problems major mm. psychological problems and uh, the dsm4 categorization of substance abuse is <clears throat> is certainly part of it which is the psychiatric you know diagnosis but in principle decriminalize provides better access to health care yeah, you 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 wanna you wanna come in, Doc? Yeah, um, I think I would I would like the discussion to 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 be directed in such a way that we must remember that the the addiction to drugs can mm -hmm. be any form of drugs, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think your point, uh, your question is more to say, what does the decriminalization mean? We are saying in an event that you are in possession of illicit drugs, mm -hmm. it's a concern for the law enforcement. All right, because the drug by its definition, will be illicit. Mm. But remember, there's a difference between being in possession and being addicted. Because if you are a substance used, you're suffering from substance use disorder, mm. it means you have reached a stage in your life where you need help. Yes. Right? Because you are so addicted to the substance that, you know, you're, you're almost dependent. But if I were to turn the argument around and say, there are some people who are addicted to legal drugs, mm. right? such that the position of those drugs is not so much a problem but the problem is that they are still addicted and therefore their substance use disorder yeah. and they suffer from that mm. so those people need help what we seem to be uh, and, and i want this debate to be very clear to say are we talking the hard drugs in particular yeah, or are we right. saying those people who are <coughs> injecting drugs i have a i have a problem with that because from where i went to medical school and what I think we teach our children is that the experimentation with any form of opiate, whether it be, you know, from cocaine to heroin, the addictions are almost immediate. Mm -hmm. And so the subtlety of I've got possession, but I'm actually only a Friday user to mm -hmm. I'm substance dependent now and I have to use it every day. I don't see a distinction. I think that and therefore I would decriminalize all of it and not only I don't I don't see a distinction in 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 what you're suggesting I think that any form of opiate use outside of a medical theater in a post-operative pain relief way is tantamount to a degree of addiction and, <clears throat> and I, I think I think from us is that um, the argument of decriminalization should mm. be based on the public health benefit 
Yes. Yes. And from the public health benefit, we know the, the returns that are there in terms of keeping the infection rates of HIV, in terms of reducing the HCV, the hepatitis C mm. virus amongst the, uh, these injecting drug users mostly. But, uh, but, I, but I, my emphasis is that we, 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 not really, we don't really want to get in the space of government to regulate. Yes. Yes. We don't want to get in the space of government to regulate. But what we are saying is, while government is, is regulating, let there be a consideration. Sure. Yes. You know what I'm going to challenge you, and I want to take a break, and, and, and I'm going to challenge, um, I suppose, all of you. What I understand you to be saying, I know we're using the word decriminalization, but I don't think that's what you are saying. I actually think you're saying you're saying that's that that's that's let's leave that intact and let's leave it for another body at a, at a at an appropriate time. What you are saying is let's also concurrent with the criminal justice system, concurrent let's look at these individuals as victims who must be helped and who must have access to things that I would have taken for granted they already have access to, such as healthcare, such as help. Because I don't understand it to be an offense to walk around high. I do understand it to be an offense to be in possession of drugs. So, 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 so therefore, you know, I just want to be clear because, I mean, you know, when, when, when we talk about, we know what decriminalization of marijuana is. And we know what it, it, it actually meant and means. It means I can walk around with a blunt without consequences, not just being high. When we come back. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. I continue my discussion talking uh, to Lebua Malaka. Uh, he's with the South African National um, AIDS Council as well as Professor uh, Ian Sani, who's the CEO of Right to Care, and also Dr. Pelmas Mashabela uh, from the Central Drug Authority. And we're having a chat or at least I think we're having a chat about the decriminalization of drugs. I, I, I put a challenge to you and, 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 I, and, and, I, and I suggested that the, the use of the word decriminalization was not what you, you, you seek to advance. Am, am I wrong in any way? I actually would go, in my personal opinion, not nationally representing my organization, but yeah. in my personal opinion, I would go the whole hog. And I would say that actually until you allow for the re- and until society recognizes that drug use is real and that people will use drugs uh, we will not be able to turn around the reasons why they're using drugs and um, so so we actually need to recognize people and their aspirations for an altered sense of state sensorium state uh, we need to recognize that that is a normal and not an abnormal. And we should, um, I think, decriminalize drugs uh, to the point where possession is not a crime. And speaking for your organization? I don't think that we have made a policy decision on this. I think that uh, we are principally interested in working within the legal environment uh, that is the state of the day and principally interested in the well-being of, of individuals and the, and the public health benefit, mm. as we've heard, right? <coughs> I think from the South African National AIDS Council point of view, um, we remember we coordinate multi-sectoral voices. Mm. Uh, we've got civil society sectors. Uh, 
um, that speak on various issues. For instance, recently we have established what we call South African network of people who inject, who are using drugs. Mm. And um, their voice has come very clear that they would want decriminalization, you know. And so what normally what we do is we don't put across a position until our sectors has actually said that. But right. up to so far, we, we, our argument has been that let's sit together um, into a, an, in a dialogue together with government, civil society, and everyone else, that we then throw out a position. Because this is just not really going to affect this country alone. Remember, we are member states to SATEC, we are member mm. states to African Union, and uh, we've got an African Union plan of action on drugs, and, you know, on substance use and mm. so on. And, and also we are member, member states to, um, to the global structures as well. Mm. So we need to really align ourselves towards that but our argument for now in terms of making sure that we 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 have public health benefit is mm. to ensure that we align ourselves with the global standards like for instance world health organization has put has recommended a package of services for people who are you know injecting drugs yes. and that you know package of services include substi- opioid substitution therapy what you can call ost mm. and also you know needle syringe program which are key they are major you know uh, primary uh, services that in in that package so what we are calling for is that let our, our our policies consider that you know our policies in the country we also are advocating that the national drug master plan as well should actually include services like that which somehow we regard them as harm reduction mm. though I'm, I'm, it's, it's always difficult to define what harm reduction means but those are the component of harm, components of harm reduction that we would want to put across yeah and and the psychosocial support yes, that actually including the changes the the counseling part that changes the mindset of the individual as to why they are seeking the drugs definitely mm. so i'm scared to really go to a point where we can be saying yes. criminalization yes so so so, so I- interesting and, and and i just want to use your your own words so so i don't misquote you you said as a, a syringe exchange program needle, 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 yeah. needle exchange needle how would that play out so you so a drug user would be able to access I think uh, Dr. Sane could actually explain that very well. But what happens is that um, the, the government must be in a position to supply clean syringes. Yes. Yeah, needles. So let me say clean needles. And that's, yeah. Uh, yes. And so that they could actually distribute them to the, you know, people who are injecting drugs to avoid the harms of, you know. Yes. Yeah, using, sharing needles and in the process infecting each other with HIV and hepatitis C virus. Yeah. In, in, uh, in Switzerland, you can walk into any pharmacy with your needles and syringes and you will can drop them into a um, biosafety box and get as many new ones as you wish. And and, and that seems, you know, and, and I suppose this issue of needles is twofold because there's also the disposal of used ones. Yeah, that's why it's an exchange. Yeah, so so I think it's, it's it sort of may, makes sense because you then have uh, needles used in a medical facility that are well managed insofar, insofar as the disposal is concerned. Then you have these yeah. where a user could pretty much just drop it. Drop, so, so drop them on the beach in Durban, which is exactly what there happened. There we go. And yeah. Caused a lot of constellation. Really? Uh, so that's a factual. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure if you 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 want to respond to my challenge, and 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 of course you are welcome uh, uh, to do that. If not, um, I'd like to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about the your pillars of drugs 
uh, uh, policy. Okay, we I think at at, at the moment um, we we're not talking decriminalization from a central drug authority. What we are talking about is that there's a policy change mm. in terms of how the you know how to recognize users given the fact that you've got various levels at which we are intervening at the central drug authority one is that you you know within the 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 the, the, the structure itself you do have law enforcement and law enforcement in terms of our understanding of the international uh, conventions and the legislation is that they are there to enforce the law so the law as it stands yes there are still issues of possessions dealing and so on and so on but we are also we are also moving to a point where we then say, if you look at the national drug master plan in its current form, mm. it talks to three things. One is that it talks to demand reduction. There must be a, a reduction for the demand of drugs and so on and so on. The it talks to issues around supply reduction, uh, and it talks to issues around harm reduction, which is I think what what we are uh, you know partially talking about here, where we said recognize that some people will inject drugs mm -hmm. you know and 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 that is that is a reality that we are living with mm -hmm. but we are then saying as you'll have those different uh, uh, citizens of the country some of whom would inject some would uh, would use other forms you know for drugs mm -hmm. we are then saying if it is then an illicit drugs there's no way in this in this country that uh, you know which is a, which is governed by the rule of law where you look away when you see a person in position of coke and stuff like that. But we are then saying, because we are recognizing that the user, when he's addicted to substances, it must be dealt with as a, as a health matter mm. in terms of illness, then, then it's, it's, it's again availing services that are health services to assist the person mm. so that they're fully functional. So I don't think from that point of view, we've got an issue. Mm. The issue for us is you cannot, you cannot look at one pillar at the expense of the other because for government all the three pillars becomes extremely extremely crucial mm -hmm. so they need to be and, and as, as i said earlier on in your in the show i did say that because we are government well we we, we are advising government on these matters mm -hmm. we have to be mindful of the fact that we've got different areas within which government has to report mm -hmm. one of which is that there's the who there's a report that is required in terms of which drugs are we going to report to because if you then go to the international narcotics board it is about what the law enforcement is doing in the area of those drugs that are illicit so then you'll have you'll expect law enforcement to report on that mm -hmm. now it is one thing then to only say we'll focus on a specific sector which is very important by the way i must just uh, emphasize during the process of developing the national drug master plan and i think that's what uh, malak was talking about we did as the central drug authority go out of our way to speak to those people that we call individuals who are injecting drugs mm. in other words we solicited inputs from them as to how they want to see the national drug master plan being you know, uh, develop for their own benefit. Sure. So those inputs have already been incorporated in the current uh, National Drug Master Plan. So we did go out as part of consultation to involve them, to get their views on some of the challenges that they experience, some of which are, of course, public health challenges. So they form part of the, the National Drug Master Plan, which will be available in 20, you know, for 2018, 2022 as a five-year plan, which is a policy for government going forward. And, and, and Dr. Mashavila, when we, when we were 
were were were speaking and and I, and I think this is more um, offline you 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 made the point and I think you 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 referred to it as well during the show you made the point that users should be treated differently from dealers well, what was um can I invite you to to expound on that okay um our the, the the view the view from the national drug master plan is that when you are a user as again as I'm saying you're almost becoming a it's almost like you're a victim that needs to be treated mm-hmm. you know for for the fact that you are addicted you're a substance use you've got a disorder of some sort mm-hmm. so it's a it's an illness that needs to be treated uh, differently mm-hmm. but in terms of the dealer i think it's a very it's a, it's a different area from which we would expect the law enforcement to be a lot more um uh, cautiously to deal with that as a problem because it is from the pillar of supply mm. where the police or the you know the law enforcement needs to be to be to be able to be seen to be doing that especially insofar as illicit you know uh, drugs are concerned so if you look at the two uh, cases where mm. you are a user you almost like becoming a, a victim of the fact that drugs are readily available and and and, and therefore you become a victim but the dealer becomes a completely different aspect for which we would expect law enforcement to be a lot more focused and i think the the the, the, the argument around decrim mm. is actually saying when you are you, when you are focusing on the user you're actually focusing on you're victimizing the victim you're victimizing the person who's already been victimized by the mm. fact that they're mm. using drugs. so that argument i think is well understood mm. but as things stands uh, you know the dealer becomes a bigger a bigger issue uh, 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 mr malaka if i could bring you back in here and, and 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 just talking about this issue of needles i mean that was quite interesting to me and 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 the issue of the uh, decriminalization of prostitution in in this country has been somewhat of a long debate but notwithstanding that debate the provision of condoms and assistance was always there is there a unique difficulty experienced by drug users in South Africa that can have the same benefits or where we can use the same model that was applied in, in respect to prostitution to, to, to this because you know without having applied much thought to the needle exchange program or the uh, opiate substitution program it just seems to make sense but it, it, it doesn't also seem to be uh, a, a, a new or brand new concept because you know there is there are blueprints if you like that exist in, in, in other spheres of, of our lives yeah I think maybe let me just correct you yeah. uh, maybe the, 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 the correct public health weight that we use it in our space is sex workers not yes I apologize <laughs> yes. yes yeah no. and, and I think um Maybe one thing that I, I, I could have mentioned from the beginning is that as Sanak, what we, how we, you know, run our programs nationally is we've got a footprint uh, plan that yeah. is called National Strategic Plan, yeah. which guides all the response nationally. And we, in, in the current national plan, we, strategic plan, we have got a chapter that dedicates, dedicated to key populations. And it sort of gives, it paints a picture of the challenges that the key populations are facing. And here we're talking about sex workers. Uh-huh. We're talking about men who are having sex with men. We're talking about people who are injecting drugs. We're talking about inmates, you know, uh, what we, call, we can call prisoners. Mm-hmm. But in all of these groups, they, though there are similarities among them, they, of course, have unique, you know, 
difficulties yeah yeah unique challenges and i think one unique challenge with the people that with people that are injecting drugs is that most of them uh, are homeless unlike you know sex workers they are on the street for is, some is that a fact though I, I do think that the economic pressure yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are homeless. To homeless. Because I mean, well, I would have understood that drugs are very expensive. Uh, actually, uh, actually, some of the most addictive are incredibly cheap. Right. Mm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so, so there, it's a, it's a, it's a number of factors that really come into play. But um, as you're saying, the the approaches, um, of course, be more or less the same because mm-hmm. our approach has really been uh, human rights based mm-hmm. and making sure that the people comes first and and that you know we we reduce as much stigma and discrimination as well as human rights violations against them. Like mm-hmm. for instance, we know the problem that we have always had with sex workers is that the we've had police harassing sex workers on the street as they're doing their job, mm. you know? Which, you know, you, uh, when we launched the National Sex Worker Plan, the, deputy, uh, the, pre- the, the current president, who was then the deputy president, the chairperson of SANAG, um, um, said that sex work is work. And, mm. and I think that is where we, we need to be going as a country. You know, um, however, um, with the, you know, injecting drug use is that the, these are people that, uh, we find on the street currently they are homeless most mm. of them and you know they are not able to access services especially because you know they they are they are looking for their next fix yeah you know and they cannot go to the facility and queue on our facilities waiting for a service to be provided you know you know when you are going through withdrawal signs and so on so there's quite huge difficulties with them yes there's quite huge difficulties with them but i think the most important thing is that um through you know um right to care yes partners such as right to care we are able to reach to them let, you know? let me you, we, we 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 remain only with with about two to three minutes can i can i invite you prof to give us your parting remarks i i still remain of the opinion that facing what is a inevitable um, drug use in the country by actually um, decriminalizing the use of even opiate drugs will lead to a better health care service for the individual with a potential harm reduction you know <clears throat> and uh, public health benefit. I think that we need to realize that in the United States today a very, a very um, um, affluent nation the number one killer of uh, men between the age of 30 to 50 is drug use. I mean, that's a stunning statement, right? And they are falling over their feet trying to work out how they got to a massive drug epidemic. And yet in Europe, in most countries in Europe, um, not in every place is it decriminalized, but there's certainly services available and there's a much more liberal view on drug use and destigmatization and the use is declining Hmm. Uh, i think eastern europe the transition countries like ukraine or myanmar where in fact uh, the drug warlords pay their employees their miners uh, with intravenous drug shots before they go down into the mine you know those are real uh, totally different social Hmm. problems and we have the opportunity in this country to 
um, take a more liberal stand and reduce drug use overall by um, accepting that it's a real entity and not trying to be ostriches. Let me thank uh, my guest. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Machabella. Thank you. And uh, as well as uh, Mr. Malaka, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to you, Prof. Uh, Sun, thank you very much for joining us. For me, Michael Mutsoning Bill, it's been a very good evening. I trust uh, you will be with us again next Wednesday, where once again we discuss yet another topic of law. For me, Michael, good night. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, Stay tuned to Kaya FM for more.